This is Not Quite Dead, a gal pal horror movie discussion podcast. We do deep dives on our favorite scary movies, but sometimes we really just like to keep it shallow. I'm your host, Kate. I'm Megan. Get ready for all the spoilers. We're going to camp. I'm really excited to talk about this one with you. <laughs> I have so many camp questions and assumptions. Oh, I'm so glad because I love talking about camp. I think that camps are an underutilized modern setting for horror movies. <laughs> yeah, the setting is so monopolized by Jason that it feels like you don't get enough you don't get enough diversity in the campground setting. So I was happy to see them return no. to camp in 1978. Me too. I think that so many things about the camp setting are rife for horror. I mean, it's typically very rural, typically run by a bunch of hormonal teenagers. And then there's a bunch of children <laughs> of varying ages in the mix and for some reason in these movies there's always like one adult and they're in the woods or they're by a lake there's just like so many things could go wrong in a camp setting especially an overnight camp setting and so the fact that we have like a million Jason and Friday the like Friday the 13th movies and then like Fear Street Part 2, which is like so very obviously riffing on Friday the 13th, is kind of a bummer. <laughs> There's even a quick cutaway scene of one of the former murderers, and the guy looks like Jason. He's got a mask on. He's got, I don't know what he's holding. I, I, I It happened so fast and I didn't catch it, but he's drowning somebody in the lake. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh, that's a very nice but obvious shout out to Jason which I thought was cool. Yes. I love the idea that Jason is somehow part of this like <laughs> <laughs> decades long cycle of tragedy. Oh my gosh. They, they have 300 years of killers, right? Because every generation needs to have a sacrifice. And so how long is a generation? 25 years? Sure. Oh, sure. Oh, let's I, call it 20. I mean, let's I, call it 25. I guess it depends <laughs> on the parents, right? <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, if we're averaging it. Sure. Yeah, let's say 25 years. Let's, let's, so that that's sounds good. At least 12 different types of killers. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. So I could see Jason being in the mix. But in this movie, we have Tommy, which is not. <laughs> I mean, not that Jason's a scary name, but we associate the name Jason with Jason. Right. <laughs> but our chaotic evil murderer in this one is is Tommy. He was so sweet, too. I know. It was really, like, interesting to see them, like, so quickly develop his character and then just, like, pivot to, like, and now he's a murder machine. <laughs> Kate, we need a really quick plot summary so we can get into this story and make a really quick mini-sode. This one is taking us back in time. So 
at the end of Fear Street Part 1, 1994, the kids find C. Berman, who is the uh, only survivor of the Camp Nightwing massacre, who had died and been resuscitated, which seems to have ended the curse, or at least stopped the murders happening. So this story is the retelling of what happened at Camp Nightwing when Camp Counselor Tommy gets possessed by the Sarah Fear curse and starts killing campers and counselors. And C. Berman and some of the other campers want to understand how the camp nurse, Nurse Lane, was herself seemingly possessed and go on this investigative journey to discover that she has information about which things. She's got secret burials on her property. She's got tunnels under her house that lead back to the camp (laughs) with weird Cronenberg-style body part masses. (laughs) There's a lot going on uh, around this camp. Kate, have you ever gone to camp? I've gone to day camps, which I feel like isn't camp, honestly. Aww. Where the, I mean, you grew up in the mountains, so those must have been pretty fun. I grew up in the mountains, but that's not where I went to camp. Oh. So I did camp in the suburbs. I, I did surf <laughs> camp. Oh, twice, which is usually anywhere from two to five days long, and you you go out at like seven in the morning, and you they just like strap you to a surfboard and kick you out into the water for like eight hours (laughs) they don't even teach you they just throw you in the water (laughs) they're very loose with the teaching I mean they're like high school they're like high school kids who are just like oh it's surfing you just stand up and then you're fine oh god and and then I did a a YMCA day camp which I think was the closest like kind of true camp experience I had because they did like some games and like songs and we did like craft type things and we had to put on like a little musical style show at the end of it yeah I mean I was 13 and so I was like this is very uncute (laughs) of course do you have any pictures or recordings I might have been 12 I don't think I do my grandmother might but I don't want to (laughs) know I don't want to know about any of it I feel like we have talked about Blue Lake on this show enough for our regular listeners to maybe know Blue Lake. But Megan, tell us about your camp experience. Oh my gosh. I've, I have been going to camp for most of my life, actually. I was in Girl Scouts growing up for over 10 years. So I did campery and uh, we did like sleepovers in each other's backyards and stuff when we didn't have a campground available. I also did a sleepaway camp for Girl Scouts. It was one week and uh, we did a little bit of everything. It was a little bit of like archery, riding horses, crafts, hiking, whatever. And then Blue Lake, yeah, was my big, biggest camping experience. And I did that as a counselor. So I've been on both sides of the camp world. And boy, I just love camp. I I cannot talk highly enough about my camp experiences. So I'm very excited to answer all of your questions, Kate. (laughs) Okay. As I was watching this movie, I kept a running list of my camp 
assumptions. Okay, great. And I would love <laughs> to run through them and have you validate or invalidate whether or not they're legitimate. Oh, I'm so glad because I kept a list too of things they got right <gasps> and things they got wrong. <laughs> so yes, let's hear amazing. it. <laughs> okay. So my number one assumption is that all of the counselors are banging. No. And when it's lights <laughs> out for the campers, it's like party time. Like they're like drinking oh and gosh. like sneaking into each other's rooms. All right. Well, I'm going to say <laughs> I'm going to say it's partially true, but mostly okay. not true uh in my experience anyway. Kids would go to bed probably by nine or ten if we were lucky um getting the kids to wind down for bed was always rough it, it they they would always just come from an activity it was a music camp it was an, a fine arts camp so we went to a lot of performances like band performances and choir performances and plays and whatnot so they'd be dying during those right <laughs> in their seats like kind of falling asleep and then they get back all wound up filthy from the day <laughs> and then they'd have to take their medicine and get ready for bed each cabin had two showers in it and 12 kids so oh no yeah <laughs> it was it was quite a slog at the end of the day for the counselors who were also wiped counselors could leave their cabins at night to come up to the uh, central cabin in your unit and just sort of chill out. But you were supposed to have somebody in our cabins with the kids at all time, or at least somebody making rounds. We would hang out. We'd have to stay quiet, but we weren't wilding. <laughs> we were like <laughs> playing board games or just talking, just getting some time away from the kids. And it wouldn't last long because we were always exhausted. It was never hard okay. to fall asleep at camp. Yeah. Did counselors have sex? Not that I'm aware of. Uh, that, like, at, like, at camp proper. But hell yeah. I mean, when we had our weekends off, we would, like, go get hotels and boink our brains out because <laughs> we needed to release some stuff. <laughs> nice. Yeah. All right. So a little, little bit of truth. In yeah. There. It was, like, regulated. I would say, but it, it happened. Okay. Yeah. All right. My next assumption is a, is maybe a, a quick one that there's going to be a bonfire at some point. Oh, sure. Yeah. We did, okay. we did, we did bonfires and s'mores nights. If a counselor went off of camp and picked up some hot dogs or something, we would roast them over a fire. So those things did happen. Okay. There's a big sports event that's a huge deal for some reason. Yeah. Like capture the flag or dodgeball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like uh, unit wars, right? That's, that's kind of what's yes. going on yeah. there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We did have a couple of nights that were designated as like, I wouldn't call them unit wars. Uh, we didn't do anything like capturing the flag or running into each other's units and cabins and taking each other's things. That was a big no-no. Like everyone's mm -hmm. personal space was respected. In fact, kids were not allowed in other people's cabins. So okay. that would not have happened. But we had like talent show nights. We had skit nights so that each cabin would do their own skit and okay. kind of kind of perform against each other. But there's no real winner. It's just like 
cheering, right? Like that's, that's, that's all it's for. Um, so yeah, that, that did sort of happen. Um, it just, but it was not something the counselors would scream at you about saying, we're going to murder you. <laughs> can't. <laughs> we're going to murder you, Camp Bernstein. Movie. I know it's so awful. <laughs> I love You're so mean. I love the one shady side counselor who's just like hippy dippy and she's like, guys, we're gonna try our best. It's okay if we lose. And the other side, Sunnyvale is like, we're gonna fucking murder you. You suck. <laughs> <laughs> this one feels like a rule because I feel like every single time there's a camp movie or show or episode in a show, a girl starts her period for the first time. Oh, sure. That that happens. Uh, lots of firsts happen at camp. Um, kids, okay. kids, girls have their periods. Uh, kids get homesick for the first time. Kids come out. Kids do something. A lot of a lot of kids find themselves doing something they have never done for the first time. I think what was so cool about Blue Lake was it's a bunch of nerds right? It's a fine arts camp and Mm -hmm. you're amongst other nerds and you don't have to worry about so much of the high school bullshit or junior high bullshit following you there because it's all new people. And there were always kids who had these like moments of clarity at camp and it was always Mm -hmm. very cool to see. So that that one did, did not surprise me. Okay. The last one I will ask you about, although I can do this all day, (laughs) is that (laughs) kids wander off or go missing all the time. No, (laughs) (laughs) that did not happen. (laughs) We, uh, so I worked at the junior camp. There was a junior camp unit at Blue Lake and those kids, you were required to always have a counselor with them. So you were constantly counting you uh, or you'd give your kids a number and have them count off so that you didn't have to count on your own. Um, The older kids could go and, you know, go to their classes on their own and kind of wander around camp when they had free time. But again, everywhere they go, everywhere they're supposed to end up, they get counted. So kids did not go missing. And we trained for this in, uh, like the last couple days before the kids first arrived uh, by having a lost camper search. And so if a kid were to go missing, you had a designated buddy and you had a designated area and you would go with your buddy and you would just comb until the kid was found. And so we would cover the entire camp that way. Never, I don't think I've ever experienced an actual missing camper. I feel like in these movies, these kids are so wildly unchaperoned. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, oh, so you're just like dropping at like 20 kids off and just letting them loose into the woods. <laughs> are these high schoolers in this movie? These are high schoolers, right? Running the camp? They're high schoolers. Yeah. yeah they're, high, they're high schoolers running the camp. And then some of these campers are like late high schoolers because we have Ziggy mm-hmm. who is 17 mm-hmm. and she has a flirtation with Nick Good who ends up being our sheriff Nick Good in 1994 
who is a camp counselor who's like 18. Like they they kiss at one point and it's taboo because he's a counselor and she's a camper. I assumed that nothing like that ever happened. Oh, that's, that's I, happened. Really? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that's what's funny. I mean, because we are that camp went all the way up to high school. So you would have kids who would graduate and then want to come back as a counselor and their girlfriend oh, would be a camper okay. still. I think that happened once or twice and you just had to be good about it. You couldn't you couldn't date while you're at camp. Like you can't hold hands, you can't kiss, you can't do any of that stuff while while the two of you are at camp. But uh yeah, that was that was a funny funny I noted that. I was like, okay, they did get that right. They did acknowledge okay, that this shouldn't okay. happen. <laughs> But yeah, it shouldn't happen, but it does happen, yeah, which makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Adults not being around is not normal. There's adults everywhere. There's really just Nurse Lane. Yeah. Then she gets taken away. <laughs> yeah, she nobody. gets taken away because she it, like has something mentally wrong with her and they take her away and then it's just like a gaggle of teenagers yeah. <laughs> running this place. So it doesn't make funny. any sense. Yeah. <laughs> That's the one thing about camp horror movies that if you had adults there, I don't think as many things would go wrong as quickly because, you you know, you have a bunch of kids who don't know what they're doing. So they do stupid shit and shoot themselves in the foot. You know, like I think if there were a bunch of adults around, a lot of this stuff would be like, oh, let's get everyone out of here and go to the police. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, I had fun talking about camp with you. <laughs> I'm so glad. I I was really excited to talk about the camp setting. I think that it's a really good backdrop for this one. I think that there are some really excellent, brutal kills in this movie. (laughs) And as mentioned in Fear Street Part 1, our first mini-sode this season, we have another R-rated movie. And this one is rated R not only for how brutally violent it is, but there's also sex in this one. Like graphic sex. It's like just raunchy and all of a sudden it's been quite shocking. (laughs) It felt really 70s. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I felt like that was a really good way to be like, oh, this is a 70s horror movie because like they had there was a lot of sex in in and drugs 70s just sex and drugs in 70s and 80s horror movies yeah and that really dropped off in the 90s i feel like because they tried to get more like mass appeal and so they just kind of stuck with the gore and that's really kind of persisted like i feel like you don't get a lot of like sex and horror movies these days no you know what you're right and i honestly i haven't missed it kate it was <laughs> it's a little jarring <laughs> it is it is and now that I'm getting older I'm like I don't want to see all these young people having sex it feels voyeuristic it feels weird <laughs> like pedophilic <laughs> I mean oh, like I know because they're all supposed to be 17 right I'm like <laughs> fine like cool like that's the best time to have sex I thought it was great but I don't want to see it <laughs> but like great if you're that age I'm sure you'll be fine with it <laughs> there's some cool 70s music in this too Yes, there's so much Bowie, tons of Bowie references in this movie. I mean, C. Berman's nickname is Ziggy, for one thing. In 1994, her dog is named Major Tom. Which I thought was very cute. 
which is super cute. They've got two versions of The Man Who Sold the World, the original by Bowie over the credits, the closing credits, and then they've got the cover by Nirvana in the opening credits, which is like a really nice tie between mm-hmm. the 1994 opening to then the jump back yeah. to the 19, 1978 setting that we've got here. And then they play Moon Age Daydream, too, which is another great Bowie song. I'll be honest with you. I thought Jillian Jacobs was the worst part of this movie, Kate. I feel bad saying that. What did you think? <sighs> I like didn't like her character. And I was like, would this have been more likable had had she acted it differently? I don't know. Like, I agree. I didn't really like any of the scenes with adult C. Berman, Ziggy, Ziggy Berman. Yeah, which is a bummer because I do like Jillian Jacobs, but I just could not buy her as like a PTSD hermit sage. It it just didn't come across to me. No, it's like she was too. This is not horrible. She's too pretty. Yeah, like yeah. yeah, like I feel like I want her hair to at least have sticks in it or something. <laughs> <laughs> when they remade Carrie with Chloe Grace Moritz, I was like, this movie is already starting off on an unbelievable mm-hmm. foot because this girl would never be ostracized. Mm-mm. No, that's how I feel about a Jillian Jacobs character and even to like a small degree like Sadie Sink I think Sadie Sink is actually really good in this um playing yeah she's cute um but she's so cute that I'm like yeah even though she's from Shadyside like I feel like all of the Sunnyvale boys would be like yeah but she's pretty cute like I feel like they would like maybe overlook (laughs) yeah overlook her origins I think I think the the people in this these towns are just very tribal so it doesn't even matter like what you look like mm-hmm. but um oh yeah I thought she was really great I thought I really liked young Ziggy and I thought that was really horrifying when they st- strung her up and started lighting her on fire that really shocked me <laughs> yes they joke about her and well it's not even a joke they're like oh you're a witch or you've got part witch in you and like at the beginning of the movie they burn her with a lighter and I was like holy fuck this is really intense (laughs) yeah I have to ask you what was with the clocks in the beginning with older Ziggy did you catch that I did but now that you say that I I don't know. Did they resolve that? Like why there were all the clocks? I didn't catch it. I mean, she just had alarms set for like every different task she has in her life. And she counts down the days between killings. I assumed they were related, but I could never piece together the clocks. And I was really hoping you would have an answer. (laughs) Oh, no. You know, if you're listening to this and you're like, duh, obviously the clocks had to do with this. Please tell us. because. I have no idea. Uh, I think that I had assumed that this was just like a result of her PTSD, that like she had just developed some unusual coping strategies or something, but I do not know what the connection is. (laughs) Yeah. I was, then I was wondering, maybe she never sleeps, so she sets the alarms so that she, no. She's I'm always know. prepared. I'm like, just like, yeah. <laughs> grasping at straws here. 
Yeah, but, uh, I would too. Uh, any Anything I would say is just pure conjecture. I yeah. have no idea why the clocks are set. Yeah. Did you have a favorite death in, the, in this movie? Oh, I did. And it <laughs> it's my favorite death, but it's also like the one that makes me saddest. But it's the little boy who is on captive patrol. He's got like, I think three mm-hmm. girls or yeah, three girls in his, in the room where he's monitoring them and he's so cute he's like do you guys want to play a game while we're in here like to make it less sucky and they're just like shut up nerd (laughs) just so (laughs) mean to him um they escape and tommy shows up at the door eventually and he's like oh hey tommy and then tommy bashes him in the face with a freaking axe and i was like whoa straight is that the one where he's decapitated like he just straight i think so yeah (laughs) i get them all mixed up really brutal (laughs) i thought that kid was so cute and i felt so bad when he got it but it was good because it totally got me i was like oh i didn't think this movie was gonna go there but i like that it did (laughs) Mm -hmm. what about you Okay, so I liked at the very end when it's Cindy and Ziggy are running around that tree and all of the reanimated killers are like coming for them. And Cindy's like, I'm just going to sacrifice myself. And like some of the killers like kind of glom onto her to kill her so that Ziggy can like try and get away. Um, And then Ziggy doesn't get away. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And they stab Ziggy. And the thing about this was, I mean, this is the scene, of course, where Ziggy is killed, right? Ziggy, Ziggy yeah. does technically die, and then they bring her back. She takes a lot of stab wounds. They stab her so many times, and I thought that that was, like, really intense. I was not expecting them to stab her, like, 20-plus times. I didn't understand how CPR would fix this. Or... Oh my God. Yes. I actually was wondering that too. Why? I was like, if you gave her CPR, you would blow into her mouth. And I was expecting blood to just like gush out of her. Well, same thing (laughs) when you're doing compressions. I was like, why aren't we seeing like a fountain of blood every time he presses on her chest? Yes. Yes. There's no reason for her to have survived (laughs) this. Except that we needed it for plot reasons. Yeah. But there that okay, so that was a little bit annoying. But just like the sheer number of times that she she gets stabbed (laughs) is pretty amazing. I was also kind of happy when Alice gets it, because Alice was driving me nuts. Yeah, Alice was not very cool, so that was that one I was okay with. Tommy really killed a lot of people (laughs) in this one. There's a lot of death. There's a lot of death in this movie. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, lots of like axings really, and stabbings, and there's really no helping shady windows. side. <laughs> yes. Well, who would you recommend this movie for, Kate? Your mom. Well, given the graphic sex scenes, that would maybe bump it up for me. So, I mean, definitely consider how squeamish your kid is. There's a lot of violent gore in this movie. Plus some graphic sex scenes. This one's a pretty through and through R-rated movie. So you might want to wait until like 16 or so. I think it depends on your it depends on your kid, right? Like if you've got a mature kid, 
maybe they can deal. But I don't know if you'd want to watch a graphic sex scene with your kid. <laughs> maybe just have them go watch it on their own. I felt the same way about this one that I felt about the last one, which is like Kate said, it just depends on your kid and what you and your kid, what you and your kid talk about. I personally, I'm trying to think like what I want to watch is with my kid. That one sex scene isn't enough, I think, to deter me. But I do think I would probably like rib my kid just to make it awkward <laughs> while that scene <laughs> comes on <laughs> just to be a bozo. I think it's time for us to get into our second round of Glow in the Dark slash Blacklight Crafts for the Fear Street series. Hell yeah. All right, Kate, I got your pictures. Let's talk about your craft. Okay, so my craft is a, a hybrid of two different crafts. It is a craft that I think would be really great for really little kids because the idea is is that you take glue and you draw an outline in the glue and let it fully dry and then you can give it to your young kids and the glue acts as a border to keep whatever paint or materials in for the kids. So it's like helping them draw or paint or watercolor like I did within the lines really like securely. So I thought that that part was really cool. I use glow in the dark glue and this is where I combined it with another craft. Although I think that this combination part was very like middling in results. The idea was that you draw a picture with your glow in the dark glue and then you set it with salt. And so I first drew a flower in this glow in the dark glue. I set it with salt and then I let it dry, which it did actually take quite a while to dry, and then painted watercolors inside of the lines. And then I shone my phone flashlight on it for just like 60 seconds and it came out really vibrant. It's really like bright. It actually has a it has a really bright glow effect and my phone camera is absolutely garbage when it comes to taking glow in the dark pictures and so you can imagine like it it actually glowed pretty brightly in real life so i thought it was really successful i would maybe skip the salt because i don't think the salt did anything to enhance the glowing or set the glue or anything i would maybe skip that part and just use the glue well i'm looking at your picture and actually the salt does this really cool effect on your paint. It it actually interacts with water-based paint in a really cool way in that it absorbs the water into it as it dries. So it creates these cool little like streaks I'm noticing or like little um almost like stars or snowflakes within the paint. So yeah, you could take or leave the salt, but it does make it look cool, I think, Kate. Kate, I did this craft actually when I was 10 years old. We did it in school. And I remember it because Lion King had just come out. So, of course, I painted Simba. <laughs> I drew Simba okay. with the glue. But I think this is a really great craft and it ages up really well. Like you said, like you can do the tracing or, a, or your older kid can do the tracing. Yes. Nice. And I had fun as an adult doing yeah. it like, because I just looked up what I wanted to paint. And I was like, oh, I'll just look up watercolor peonies and just kind of freehanded with the glue, I didn't do, I didn't put any pencil down. I just freehanded it with the glue 
and did some like relaxing watercolors. And Elmer's glue, uh, they do glow in the dark. Uh, I used a blue, <laughs> a blue glitter glow in the dark because I thought it was fun. They have so many color options. They've got a purple glitter. They have just a straight regular glow in the dark. Um, kind of that classic neon green. There's a lot of options. So highly recommend. I like it. Well, mine was simple, but kind of weird. I used glow sticks and just some mm. glass jars. So the glow sticks, honestly, I got for a dollar at Michael's and the glass jars we just had, they were empty glass jars from food we had finished. So this is a really, really cheap craft. And I think it's a really good one for Halloween. Um, basically, all you do is cut the glow sticks and dump them in a glass jar. And that's it. Nice. <laughs> nice. The they look really cool. Yeah, they came out really neat. The issue, something to, sorry, something to be aware of is that glow sticks are filled with glass. I didn't know oh. this. Yeah. I didn't realize that. That's that snap you hear when you break them. Oh, I thought that that was just breaking like a plastic yeah. tube inside or something. Same. I didn't think it was glass. Yeah. So you can't really do this one with little kids. What I would what I would think about doing with these for Halloween would be to like fill them with aloe vera gel or some kind of like clear gel and suspend mm -hmm. like creepy looking things in them. Oh, that's. I a good think idea. that would be kind of a cool decoration. But this is one of those crafts where you have a foundation. It's it's a glow in the dark jar and then run with it. Do something else with it. I think if you fill them with water, they supposedly last longer. So maybe you could stick some flowers in it or something. I'm probably mm -hmm. dead already. But, you know, they make for a cool little decoration and they were really cheap. I love it. They look so bright and colorful. I can imagine just on a porch for Halloween having your jack-o'-lanterns and then your glow-in-the-dark neon lanterns next to it. What a fun, easy craft. I love how cheap it is, too. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't want to, like, break the bank on, like, any of these glow-in-the-dark crafts. The most I spent is is not a spoiler for the third one because it was the acrylic paints in my first craft from our Fear, Fear Street Part 1. And I need to go back and try and use those acrylic paints in some, other, in some other applications and see if I can get some good glow effects from them. I was able to keep this craft pretty low cost because I already had watercolor paper. I already had watercolor paints. Um, I literally just bought the glue, which I think was a couple bucks. Well, we have one more Fair Street left, which we will cover two weeks from now. We hope you guys will see us there for that. And in the meantime, enjoy scary stories to tell in the dark coming next week. This was Not Quite Dead. Check out our other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Not Quite Dead Podcast and on Twitter at NQD underscore podcast. Follow our blog for bonus content at notquitedeadpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. And happy watching. <laughs>